Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. I always want to make sure that you're aware of the context of which the scripture is written. And what I mean by that is, as we talked about in John chapter 14, um, that this is Jesus's farewell letter to the children of Israel, I mean, until to the disciples. And if you remember in that first conversation with the disciples, he told them in the very first part of chapter 14, do not let your heart be troubled. So everything that we've been looking at in chapter 14, we'll look at in 15 and 16, is in the context of Jesus comforting the disciples. Because if you remember, Jesus has told the disciples that he's leaving, that he's gonna go away, that he's gonna go to his father. And so everything that we've been reading up to this point was Jesus's attempt to make sure that the troubled hearts of the disciples received comfort. And so the three verses we're gonna look at today, we're simply just gonna look at three verses today. We're gonna see that Jesus continues in that vein of trying to encourage the disciples, trying to to, um, comfort their troubled hearts. And so what we're gonna look at today um, are honestly probably two of the hardest topics to discuss Two of the things that we're gonna look at in verses 12, 13, and 14 are are two topics that are probably the most misunderstood things in Scripture. And these two things that Jesus is gonna encourage the disciples with today, number one is this. He tells them, in my absence, you're gonna do greater works than I. You're gonna do greater works than I. So then we're gonna look at the second thing that is, misunderstood oftentimes is where Jesus tells them, anything you ask in my name, I will do it. Now, if you take those two topics alone at face value, that you're gonna do greater works than Jesus and that anything I ask in Jesus' name, he'll do it. I think it's safe to say that every person on the face of the planet would say, hey, that's what being a Christian's about. Sign me up. Sign, you mean I'm gonna be greater than Jesus and all I gotta do is say in Jesus' name in my prayer or my request and he'll do it? Who wouldn't sign up for that? Because that sounds very easy, sounds, sounds very straightforward. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna dig into that just a little bit deeper so that we make sure that we understand exactly the message that Jesus is communicating. So I want us to look in John chapter 14, and we're gonna read verses 12 through 14. Jesus says, truly, truly, that's him saying, hey, pay attention. Some of your Bibles probably say verily, verily, but he's saying, hey, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do 
because I go to the Father. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that, I want you to underline, circle, highlight, whatever that phrase, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then he says it again in verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So the first thing that we wanna really dig into is where Jesus tells the disciples, you'll do what I do and you will do greater works than these. What we have to make sure that we realize is that the goal that Jesus is trying to accomplish here is to not make the disciples think that they're gonna be better than he is. They're not trying to make the disciples think that they're gonna be greater than Jesus because we realize that these disciples are everyday men, just like you and I. They're just like you and I. And so we see there that in their minds that Jesus, remember, they've witnessed all that Jesus has done. They've seen the miracles that he's performed. They've seen the life that he's granted. They've seen him raise the dead to life. They've seen all of these things. And now Jesus tells them, Hey, you've seen all that I've done, but you're gonna do greater works than these. So in their minds, did, did you have that one-upper that was in the crowd? Y'all, does everybody know what a one-upper is? Don't yell names. Don't point fingers. But you know, there's always those one-uppers that you're around that, you know, that no matter what you've done, they've done it better. You go out and buy something, they're gonna buy the next level up and then they're gonna tell you about it. That's not what Jesus is trying to create in the disciples is a group of, of one-uppers. He's not assuring them that you're gonna be as great as I. So we gotta ask the question, well, what, what is he telling the disciples? What is he telling them? What does this greater work mean? And so I began to dig and I began to study this week and I was like, God, what, what is the greater work? What greater works is it that you are encouraging the disciples that they're gonna accomplish? And so as we begin to look, we find that there's, there's scholars that look at this from kind of two different angles. And I believe both angles are accurate. And so we're gonna kind of walk through these so that we will better understand what the greater work that Jesus is referring to. So the first angle I want us to look at is when he references greater work, what Jesus is specifically talking about is the extent and the broadness of the ministry, the ministry location, that it's gonna be wider, than it's gonna be farther than Jesus has been able to reach. Because if you look back at Jesus's ministry, what we've realized and what we discover is that Jesus, he never traveled more than 60 miles from his hometown. He never left the region of Palestine. And so Jesus never got on an airplane and went to the other side of the world. He never journeyed beyond his uncomfortable zone. He, he stayed within 60 miles of his hometown. And so what Jesus is wanting the disciples to know is that you're gonna go further than I did. The expanse of my ministry through you is gonna be broader than 60 miles from your hometown. And I want you to realize that you're gonna go farther physically than I have ever gone. When you look at Paul, we can see all through the scriptures, we see how far Paul traveled. We see all the places that Paul went. We see how broad Paul's ministry was. 
And if in our flesh we begin to compare what Paul did to what Jesus did, we would venture to say that Paul's ministry was more impactful than Jesus's. Because Paul went further distances. Paul went different places. Paul expanded the ministry further than Jesus ever did physically. And so I think about that and I think about in the New Testament disciples and I even think about the life of us as disciples. Do you realize that by the power of the Holy Spirit that the ministry that God invites us to, we will go further physically than Jesus ever did? We got a team that in a couple of weeks is gonna be getting on an airplane and going to Cambodia, going to the other side of the world to share the gospel. Then Chase Adams and Zachary Mullinax is gonna be leading a group of our students to Nepal in July, to the other side of the world. And the ministry is going to be greater works. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. However, We've gotta be very, very careful. And what I mean by that is, don't you ever forget that ministry is only made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and me. That is the only way ministry is made possible, is that we can now go as messengers because the message dwells within inside of us. And so don't ever think that Paul should receive praise higher than Jesus's. Don't ever think that any pastor should ever receive praise higher than Jesus because at the end of the day, ministry is only possible by the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's it. The power of the Holy Spirit indwells in us as disciples of the gospel, carriers of this good news. And praise be unto God, because of that power, we will do greater works, meaning we were able to go places that Jesus never went physically. But what we realize is that when we go to Cambodia in a few weeks, when students go to Nepal, Jesus is going because the Holy Spirit dwells within the ones who are going. So we're not taking the message of Chestnut Mountain Church we're not taking the message of our name, but we're taking the message of his name. The only name that can bring life. The only name that can change someone's eternity. We read about this power. We read about the spirit in, in Romans chapter eight. In Romans chapter eight, we read it and it says in verses 12 through 14. So then brothers, brothers, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the spirit you are putting to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So we are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within inside of us. Jesus also speaks to this greater work in the Great Commission. When he tells the disciples, you will go where? All nations. You will go beyond your hometown. And in, Roman, or in Acts chapter one, we read when the, when the Father, when Jesus ascends, the Spirit will be granted, the, the Spirit will be given to the followers of Christ. And he says, where will you go then? 
You wait till the Spirit comes, and then you will go where? For lack of better words, everywhere. You will go everywhere to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost. What he's wanting them to understand is Jerusalem was their hometown. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe he wants the disciples to know. I believe he wants every follower of Christ in this room to know that because of the Spirit of God living in you, you will go beyond your hometown with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us to do. That's what he's mandated us to do, is to go and bring the good news. So we see that when he talks about the greater works that we will do, the greater works that the disciples will do, it was specifically talking about the expanse of the ministry. So another angle that we wanna look at today is this. The greater works is also alluding to the difference between the physical miracles and the spiritual miracles. You see the disciples, as we said a moment ago, they're just like us. They're everyday people. They had watched Jesus give sight to the blind. They had watched Jesus bring the dead to life. And so in their minds, they're going, oh my gosh. So now we're gonna have the ability to perform miracles. And what we know that according to the New Testament, disciples performed some of the miracles that Jesus performed. But again, it was only by the power of the Holy Spirit that was living in them. They were the conduit in which that miracle was delivered. They didn't perform anything. It was the spirit of God that was living inside of them. But also what we have to make mention of is this. The greater works that Jesus is alluding to is much greater than physical healing. The, the, the healing that Jesus is going to talk about is much greater than a physical healing. It's the miracle of salvation. And I think we can all agree that when somebody's healed physically here on this earth, it is only temporal. But praise be unto God that the miracle of our salvation is eternal. And Jesus is saying, hey, when you take the message of salvation to the people all over the world, that work is so much greater than healing somebody physically because now somebody is healed for eternity when they respond and hear this good news. That's the good news of the gospel. And as a follower of Christ, even in this room today, you understand that it's all of our responsibility. As I say it so many times, God doesn't save us to sit. He saved us to tell people. Second Corinthians chapter five, Paul writes about this. Second Corinthians chapter five, and I'm just gonna read two verses. They'll be on the screen, so if you don't wanna turn there. But he says in verse 18 of chapter five, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Listen, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of 
Christ, be reconciled to God. If you are here today and you have repented of your sins, you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the good news is you have been reconciled back to your heavenly father. And if you have been reconciled back to God Almighty, you have now been given a mandate, the ministry of reconciliation. No, you don't have the power to reconcile anybody back to God, but it is our responsibility to make sure we make that message known. That the same saving grace that is offered to us is offered to all. That is the ministry of reconciliation by which Paul even speaks to the church at Corinth. You are the ambassadors. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that you as a child of God are the ambassadors of this message. God saved us to go. God saved us to tell and to remind people that if we've been reconciled, they also can be reconciled through the blood of the lamb. And this is a mandate that all believers have been given. And what we know about this miracle of reconciliation is this miracle of reconciliation is eternal. Physical miracles are only temporary. But always remember, we don't have the power to save anyone. But we've been called by God to make sure that they know there's a way. And that way is Jesus and Jesus alone. So short of the long, if we're gonna look, we could, we could spend the next eight weeks on this topic alone. But for the sake of time, we realize that what Jesus is talking about here, this greater works, yes, he's talking about the expanse of the ministry, how far we will go, but he's also talking about that we will get to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because we're telling. And it's gonna go beyond our hometown. It's gonna go beyond that 60 mile radius of Chestnut Mountain, Georgia, wherever Chestnut Mountain, Georgia is. I really think it's that hill right over there. But because of the power living in us, we will go with this message. J.D. Greer says this in one of his books. He says, this is why, listen to me, I want you to think about this. I want you to process this. But this reason alone that we've been sharing, this is why the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Because now we are all filled with the spirit of God and now when we are obedient, Jesus is the light. Jesus, the message of Christ goes beyond, goes beyond where we're at. So now we'll keep going. Let's unpack the fun one now. Verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that, again, I'm gonna emphasize that once again. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then to make it more complicated, he says it again. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is one of those scriptures that a lot of times is taken so out of context. And it's what we would say that somebody holds a scripture hostage 
meaning that we hold it hostage until it says what we want it to say. And so as Jesus is telling the disciples, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. I've got to first tell you what that's not, okay? And I'm just going to, the best way I know to do this is just to give you some practical examples. All right, so y'all please laugh and don't make me feel alone in this because it is what it is, right? But how many of you at a season in your life, whether you were a teenager, maybe currently now praying this, but how many of you have ever prayed that single life prayer? Okay, I heard some giggles, so y'all have all done it, all right? And it maybe sounds like, oh dear God, let that hottie be mine in Jesus' name, right? Y'all have all done it or am I the only one? Huh? I'm the only one? Ansley, you pray that every day. She's gonna try to embarrass me, I'll embarrass her. But we've all prayed that. And then when we're super spiritual, Remember, anything you ask in my name, I'll do it. Then we started out by, in Jesus' name, let that hottie be mine. In Jesus' name, I declare it. How many times do we do that? Because in our minds, we thought, anything I ask in Jesus' name, I will do it. Or maybe it's that you're playing the mega million. In Jesus' name, let these numbers be right you'll even make promises to God. God, if I win the mega million, I promise to pay the church off first. You liar. Can I get that in writing? But we attach Jesus' name to it so that it'll happen. Or maybe, maybe we could just open a mic up and let y'all come up and share what you've prayed for in Jesus' name. Look, there's the deer hunter prayer too. Can I tell you how many times I've sat in a deer stand and I've prayed in Jesus' name, let the biggest buck on the planet walk under me? Well, I'm still not on the cover of a magazine anywhere. So I'm pretty sure this bookending our prayer with Jesus' name and Jesus' name is not always the reference that we may want it to be. That if I attach Jesus' name to it, according to what he said, He'll do it. What we've got to understand is what Jesus is talking about because the question that we've got to ask ourselves in all of our prayer life is this. What is the motive behind your prayer? What is the motive behind what you are requesting from God? Is it so that you may receive glory or is it so he will receive glory? Glory, Because if you remember, Jesus said in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So that, so that the Father will be glorified. Now that's why it gets a little bit tougher. Because when we talk about this in Jesus' name on both ends and he will do it, again, that's the example of who wouldn't sign up for that? Who wouldn't sign up for something that sounds so easy for me to get my way? But what we gotta realize is that in Jesus' name is not the secret recipe for you to get what you want. 
That's not what in Jesus' names means. And I know you're probably going, so Brian, what does it mean? Because Brian, I know the verses. I know all the verses and what they say that, that in Philippians, it tells me to make my request known to God. And yes, that is true. I also know that according to the scripture, it says that he will give me the desires of my heart. So if I'm making my request known to God, I'm letting him know the desires of my heart. And if I attach Jesus' name to it, then man, it all turns out great for me. But what we gotta look at is what exactly is Jesus talking about? And you know the best example to look at at what Jesus is talking about? is the one who prayed this way and the one who's now giving them instructions on how to pray. So let's look at the example of Jesus. Let's look at just one little episode of Jesus's prayer life with his father. You know, I know that we can all say that we've prayed so hard for something. How many of you in this room, you, let's raise our hand. How many of you have prayed extremely hard for something? Raise your hand. If y'all ain't raising your hand, you ain't spiritual enough. We've all prayed hard. We've all prayed with intensity, with passion, with a burden, maybe coming to a place of tears, maybe coming to a place of brokenness. But when we look at the example of Jesus in Luke chapter 22, he pleaded with the Father so intensely that we know what happened. Blood began to pour from his brow. To where when we look at the biological side of this, that the blood vessels begin to burst open in his head because he was so intense. He was so pleading with the father that blood began to drip from his forehead. Now, I think I'm safe to say when we raised our hand that we've prayed really hard for things. I don't believe there's anybody in the room that has ever prayed that hard. Has anybody in the room ever prayed to a place that it brought you to blood flowing from your brow? That you were pleading with God with such intensity, with such passion that all of a sudden you had to begin to wipe blood from your forehead. I don't know about you, but I've never prayed to that, that level. I've never pleaded with the Father with that much intensity. But Jesus did. Jesus was pleading with the Father to the point that it led him to bleed. Then as we go on to continue to look at Jesus's prayer, if you look in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, we see exactly what Paul talked about in Philippians. He makes his request known to God. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, he says to the father in the garden before his crucifixion, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If it is possible, let's do this another way. God, if there's another chance for us to do this a way that may seem smoother, that may go a little lighter, that may not be as complicated, God, if there's another way, let's go that route. And he was pleading with the father with such intensity that he began to bleed. But where everything changes is when Jesus is crying out, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. 
yet, not as I will, but as you will. He's telling the father, here's what I want. Here's my request. I'm making it known to you. But God, if you have other plans, I'm gonna trust it. That part of our prayer life is not very easy. That when we make our request known to God, we believe in our heart of hearts that this is the best route, that this is the best plan, that this is the best outcome, and we will plead with God. We will present our case that this is the best outcome, God. But if we ever got to that turning point where we said, God, here's what I want, but God, if you've got better plans, God, I'm gonna trust you. That's not hard. That's, that's one of the most difficult things that you will ever pray is when you die to your wants for the glory of God and his wants. And I can remember as a dad, that was the toughest prayer that I ever prayed in light of my son. I begged God, God, heal my son And I remember pleading with God to the point I was angry with God almost because it wasn't happening when I wanted it to. But then it finally got to that breaking point where I remember praying the hardest thing I've ever prayed. I said, God, I want you to heal my son. But God, I'm also reminded that even though it doesn't make sense to me, you love him a lot more than I do. And I said, so God, if you want him, you take him. And as a dad, that's the hardest thing I've ever prayed. That was me presenting my request to God. God, heal him. I can't imagine life without him. God, I don't want to live without him. But God, at the end of the day, I have to trust you even when it doesn't make sense. Now, praise God as a result of his power and his glory, Brock is healed. He's healed on steroids now. Like he's just like, I mean, he's everywhere. Y'all all know what I mean. If you've talked to him, you're probably still talking to him. Where are you at, Brock? He's really mad at me now. Hey, buddy. All right. He'll, he'll really be upset after church today. But you know, when you think about the example that Jesus led by, he makes his request known to God. He said, God, if there's any other way, you do understand by the power of God that in that moment, God could have rescued his son. He could have answered the first prayer. God could have said, okay, you know what? Yeah, you're right, Jesus. We can probably come up with plan B. And he could have moved. And truth be known, knowing the heart of Jesus is Jesus would have given God glory. He would have praised his name on behalf of his rescue. 
But when Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and he says, here's what I want, but I'm gonna trust you instead, we know that trusting Jesus or trusting God led to the death of Jesus, led to his crucifixion, to where he was dead in a tomb for three days. But praise be unto God, on the third day, God breathed into his son's lungs. The stone rolled away and Jesus came out of the tomb. And so what went from being a good route to where God would have received glory, now all of a sudden God's glory was amplified from death to life. And so what may have seemed good, what may have seemed a little bit easier, would have probably gotten God some glory. But when you bring the dead to life, it takes God's glory to a whole nother level. And I wonder how many times in our life, the things that we pray, nothing's wrong with them. They're good. But what we have got to surrender to is that though there's times in our life where we may know what's good, God in his glory knows what's great. But the hard part is trusting him, waiting on the great. Trusting him, waiting on the great. That's the hard part as a follower of Christ. Because in our mind, we know what would work. We know what would be good. But if God doesn't answer it the way we want him to answer it, are we gonna trust him in waiting on him to move? Same thing with Brock. Before we took him to the hospital, I remember praying over him in my bedroom. God, heal him, take this away. And he didn't. But after two months went by, I look back and I remember all of the conversations that we had with nurses, with doctors, to where we were able to share God's glory, where we had an opportunity to share the gospel. He could have healed him the first night, but because he chose not to, more people got introduced to God's glory. So what we have to make sure that we're doing is stop settling for good And let's trust Jesus for the great. Stop settling for the good and trust Jesus with the great. But this is the very reason that we've all got to approach prayer from the right perspective. We've all got to approach prayer with the glory of the Father in mind. With the glory of the Father in mind. Because Jesus has told the disciples, if you ask it in my name, I will do it for the glory of my Father. He doesn't say that if you ask it in my name, I will do it so that you will have the smoothest path. That's not what he says. Everything that we have been placed here to do is to bring glory to the Father. Are we willing to be that living sacrifice? To say, God, I'm yours. Use me, no matter what the cost. 
And what you gotta remember is these disciples that Jesus is telling this to are martyred, they're murdered. They're boiled, they're hung upside down, they're beheaded. All for the glory of God. So just when we think we have it bad, let's look at the lives of the disciples. But what I wanna close with is this. I wanna point out how we see how this prayer, this conversation that Jesus was having with the Father, I want us to, to look at how it evolved. Because remember, it started out, he made his request known to God. If it's possible, if it's possible, let's do this another way. But then what you notice is the last two times that he goes and has a conversation with God, we see that his prayer has changed. Instead of making his request known to God, listen to what he says the last two times. If it cannot pass. If it cannot pass, your will be done. And so we see that the more conversation that Jesus had with his father, the more the father molded his heart to align with his will and to align with what was gonna bring God the most glory. And so what we have to realize is that more time that you and I spend in prayer is the times and the opportunity that God molds and shapes our hearts to align with his. And you see, that is the, that's the heartbeat of prayer, is to align our heart with the heart of the Father. You see, prayer is not us demanding our will, but it's deferring to the Father's will. Prayer is not us demanding our will. It's not us demanding what we think will be the best, but it's us deferring to what the Father knows is best. And that's tough. That's a hard path to walk down sometimes. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus declared what he wanted, but he deferred to what the Father wanted. I want you to listen to this quote that I found from E. Stanley Jones, who is a Methodist missionary. This is his summary of prayer. And I'm thankful for men like this, so they simplify it for a guy like me. He says, prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. Listen to the example that he gives. If I throw a boat hook from the boat to catch the shore, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? You see, prayer is not pulling God to my will but the aligning of my will to the will of God. That's prayer in a nutshell. 
is to ask God to align our hearts with his. And what you'll find is that as you grow in your prayer life, as you begin to make your requests known to God, often you'll begin to see that these requests that you are making known to God are his heart, what his desires are. Then when you say, hey, but it says he will give me the desires of my heart, you realize the closer that you walk with Jesus, the more your desires become his desires. And so you begin to pray like Jesus. Not my will, God, but yours be done. And so essentially, when Jesus is telling the disciples, you ask this in my name, that is their heart of surrender to say, God, I wanna surrender my will the same way Jesus did. And I wanna trust yours. I wanna trust your will. And you see in these three verses, Jesus is trying to comfort the disciples because they're scratching their heads. How in the world is this ministry going to continue in your absence? How is this work gonna keep moving forward in your absence? And Jesus says, hey, if you'll spend time with the Lord, if you'll spend time with your father, he's gonna give you his heart. So when you're asking in my name, you're asking to have the heart of God. And once God begins to shape and mold your heart into a heart like his, then this is when the greater works will take place. This is when you will go beyond what you ever thought possible. And so the question that I would pose this morning is this. What in your prayer life do you need to trust God with? Nothing's wrong with what you've been praying. Nothing's wrong with what you've been declaring, what you've been wanting to take place. You've made your request known to God. You're praying that God's gonna give you this desire, the desire that is deep within your heart, and it's not bad. Fact of the matter is, it's probably good. But could it be that Jesus is saying, hey, just be patient. Because what you're praying is good. But if you'll just trust me, what I've got coming is great. But there's no doubt in my mind that there's people that you need to probably bring your good to the altar and say, God, I've been praying this for a long time. But God, today I'm gonna trust you that maybe what I'm praying is not your will. So God, even though it may hurt, I want you to mold my heart into yours. And God, not my will, but your will be done. That's a hard place to be. But churches, I've said so many times, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you've trusted him with your eternity, why don't you think you can trust him with your tomorrow? Not my will, but your will be done. So what prayer do you need to trust Jesus with today? 
Or maybe this morning you need to ask yourself, what, what greater work does Jesus wanna do through me? You know, in the Great Commission, when he tells the disciples to go, it doesn't mean it's a one-time event. Like, yes, in three weeks, we're going to Cambodia. But as soon as my feet hit the floor tomorrow, guess what I'm doing? I'm going. The moment you go to work tomorrow, guess what you're doing? You're going. Because the literal translation of that means as we go. It's a daily thing. And so tomorrow, God is entrusting you with a greater work because you're taking the Spirit of God with you when Jesus is at right hand of the Father. And this is what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that you are messengers. You have the message of reconciliation that he has mandated you to spread and to tell. I love what Paul says. And as an ambassador, I'm called to beg you to be reconciled to God. Who does God want you to beg? Who does God want you to share the gospel with? What is that greater work? Here's the one thing I've learned about God. If you'll pray for opportunity, guess what? The door gonna swing wide open. But a lot of times we get cold feet when that door opens. Now God, I know I prayed that in church yesterday. I was feeling super spiritual, but I didn't really know it was gonna happen today. So God, maybe tomorrow. You're never guaranteed for that door to open again. And so this morning, what prayer do you need to trust him with? What will do you need to surrender to today? Make your request known to God. Present to him the desires of your heart, but also be able to say, God, not my will, but your will. Or maybe today you just need to ask God, God, what is that greater work you wanna use me for? God, my yes is on the table. Use me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.